Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Here's pastor, teacher, and author, Phil Moser. Well, good morning. Welcome to Fellowship Bible Church. I'm delighted that you're here with us. Before we open the Word this morning, just let me give you a quick word of encouragement regarding our 40-day spiritual discipline challenge. So I know a number of you have invested in that with us. That is, if you're new with us, that's uh, 40 days in which we want to be in the Word together. Uh, We want to be memorizing Scripture. We want to be intensifying our prayer time. And just let me start by way of confession where I kind of get off track, and maybe that'll help you say, okay, I need to stay on track. If you are already in a Bible reading plan, we just want you to stay after that. If you're looking for something to kind of supplement that, we have a devotional tool out at the welcome table. Please grab that and jump in with us into those daily Bible readings and, and work the prayer time as well. But where I tend to get off track is when my schedule changes. So Monday through Friday, I kind of know what I'm, well, actually Friday, it gets a little messed up too, but Monday through Friday, I kind of know what I'm doing, and so I know where to place it. Um, When I get into the weekend, my world kind of turns around and does other weird stuff because, you know, pastors only work one day a week, so... So, so when that happens, my day gets, my, my weekend gets messed up, and my time in the Word gets messed up. And so I've had to kind of say, okay, if I know that's coming, where am I going to insert that time? And so I just want to encourage you, if you find your schedule is messing it up, then just say, okay, with that in mind, I got to look at my schedule coming in, and maybe I shift the morning to the evening, or the evening time, if that's where I do, to the morning, or I want to grab my lunch hour. I just want to encourage you, don't give up on the habit, because what you'll find out, which you probably know already, is that the words you were in that day, the portion of the Bible you were in that day, is exactly what you need for that day, both for yourself and to help others. And I I recognize, again, the scripture memory thing can be challenging. It can be difficult to keep embedding in our mind the Word of God. Uh, we can remember stuff we don't want to remember, and we can't remember the stuff we need to remember. So I just want to remind you, stay after that part of the process too. And I always tell people, use that scripture during the day in some way. Bring it back, quote it, let it resonate again, but find a way to use it during the day because when you're using it during the day, all of a sudden the scripture memory becomes highly applicable. So wherever you are in that journey, uh, you're probably in a few weeks now, don't drop off. Stay after it. Um, One final great point of reminder, share what you're learning. So uh, we do this from time to time at our dinner table. We'll say, listen, we can't eat until everybody shares what they got out of their quiet time. And sometimes it it could potentially be a day of fasting for somebody at the table, okay? Um, And so we make mistakes there, but there's at least some degree of accountability to it. And so just want to encourage you, wherever you are in that process, add some accountability, stay after it. Uh, The reward for that is rich. Um, If you weren't with us last week, we gave you an additional prayer list last week, and that's in the pew in front of you. Pray 1-8 while you wait. Um, This is a great way, by the way, to just start to pray for the needs of the world, something uh, far greater than just our immediate needs. So that's also a way we take our prayer life away from boredom and repetitiveness to learning to pray for others in our neighborhood, in our community, and around the world. So grab that and stay after that task together. Well, 
Uh, enough of the five-minute talk at the beginning, so why don't you stand with me for the reading of the Word, and we'll do that together. We're in Acts chapter 1. I'm going to pick up the reading here at verse 15. And if it sounds a little bit out of context, just let me set it for you. Um, the disciples and 120 other people are in the upper room, and they're in the upper room waiting on what Jesus told them would happen. And it doesn't happen until next week for us, Acts chapter 2, but this is their time of waiting. Just listen as I read through God's word. Acts chapter 1, verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in about 100, all about 120. And he said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, Alkadama, that is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate. And let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied, who have accompanied us during all that time, that the Lord, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us. One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two: Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Thank you for standing in respect for the words. You may be seated. There's a couple things um, that I just want to embrace in this kind of time awaiting in this passage. And remember, last week we talked about fulfilling your mission. So in the fulfilling of your mission, here it is. Don't waste, don't bail, don't go, okay? Just three things. Don't waste, don't bail, don't go. So I'm going to unpack those in a second, but let me talk about fulfilling your mission. This isn't a TED Talk that says whatever your mission is, go out and do it. This is a talk that says directly from the Word, we have an agreed-upon mission, Whatever you want to accomplish with your life, wherever you want to hit retirement, wherever your goals are, there is something that overrides all of that for the church from the scriptures. And here it is. We talked about it last week. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And we unpacked that last week by saying, listen, this is where we're supposed to take the gospel. We're supposed to take the good news Uh, from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And I don't have to go to the Holy Land to do that, right? You can do that by understanding that the Jerusalem is those people we know. It's the closest community we have, friends and family. The Judea is the larger community, maybe those people in our community that we've not met yet. And uh, we meet them for the purpose of sharing the gospel with them. 
Uh, Those who aren't like me, the Samaritans were not like the Jewish people, but they were in close proximity geographically. So those are people groups outside of my cultural comfort zone. And those who are far from me, the ends of the earth, are people groups and nations outside of my culture, language, and geographical reach. We want to engage with people or at least be praying for people groups and nations that are way outside of our culture. This is our mission. Not simply what we want to accomplish in life. That's, uh, a, a, that's a subset of the mission. So when we talk about fulfilling the mission, we're talking about Acts 1A. Okay? Now with that in mind, let's just take a look at this passage. Don't waste a time of waiting. Okay? That's the first idea. Don't waste a time of waiting. Don't bail out because of betrayal. Don't go without God's guidance. That second one, don't bail out because of betrayal. Um, I just often hear that in, in individuals who deconstruct their faith now. They're troubled by the fact that someone failed them. And we'll unpack that in a second. But there's something that we need to understand about Judas's betrayal and how the other apostles probably engaged in that. When, when I say don't waste a time of waiting... Um, you might hear that in your head as, don't waste time waiting, okay? But that's not what this is about at all. This was a time of waiting. And what you see is that, is that Peter leads the others, and they're active in this time of waiting. They're just not sitting in their easy chairs, just kicking back, saying, well, we've got to wait for the Holy Spirit to show up. Okay? They're doing something in that time of waiting. Now, for just a moment, just understand that we get uncomfortable with waiting. Like, just imagine momentarily, um, if I started talking, six seconds seemed like an eternity, didn't it? Okay. It was just six seconds. Okay. Because in the moment of waiting, we just get uncomfortable. And there's something we can do in the time of waiting. Just let me give you some times you're going to be waiting um, in the upcoming week and some national averages to that waiting. Uh, Sometimes people wait. Here's the national average. When someone's talking in the movie theater, they wait one minute and 52 seconds before they say something. You say, not me. I talk a lot quicker than that. All right. Um, When someone says to a parent who hasn't quieted a loud child who's screaming, we can wait the average of 2 minutes and 41 seconds. How about this? Average wait in the doctor's office. You say, two and a half days. (laughs) No, 32 minutes is the average wait in a doctor's office. How about this? Airport security. Average wait, 28 minutes. This is my favorite one. Waiting for your spouse to get ready. 21 minutes before you say something, okay? Some of you say, I do not have that degree of patience, all right? Um, How about this one? Waiting for the car ahead of you that hasn't moved when the light turns green. The national average is 50 seconds, okay? That is not the New Jersey average, I assure you. All right. The point is this. Waiting makes us uncomfortable, We feel like we're wasting time in the waiting. And the one thing you want to see in this text is they didn't waste time and they accomplished something in the waiting. So don't waste a time of waiting. First of all, it isn't as long as it feels. It isn't as long as it feels. In Acts 1-4, 
Jesus said, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit not many days from now. But it probably seemed like a long time. In fact, in, just notice how Acts, 2, Acts chapter 1, verse 15 starts. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. Those days, these are the days between when Jesus left and the Holy Spirit arrives. Uh, we call that the day of Pentecost, which we'll see next week. That's 50 days. Jesus left at the 40-day mark. So depending your, how you do the math, because Pentecost occurred uh, uh, 10 days 50 days after Passover, Passover slightly before the 40 days because of the resurrection. So depending on how you do the bath, this is about a week or 10 days, okay? This is a period of a week or 10 days. And Peter stands up and does something during this week and 10 days. It's not as long as it feels. And I like to say in that, look to the word, not to the end of waiting, okay? What you want to do when you're in a time of waiting is to look to the word, not to the end of waiting, See, we always look to the end of waiting. When's this car in front of me going to move? What happened? How come they're not moving through the red light? We always look to the end of waiting. My spouse is getting ready. Not my spouse. She's here and she's always on time. I'm not, okay? But, but, but imagine, we always look at our watch because we're looking for the end of waiting. Can I just show you what the Bible says about that? Psalm 130, verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits In his word, I hope. You were just given something to do in the middle of waiting. Go to the word and hope. My soul waits for the Lord. And I love the way it ends. And it's got this double kind of whammy at the end because it's trying to, in poetic form, it's trying to make it, it wants you to see the emphasis. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchman wait for the morning. What is a watchman waiting for? He's waiting for the end of his shift in the morning. And then it says it twice, more than the watchman waits for the morning, as if to say, if you look at your watch while you're waiting, you should instead look to the word. Just open up the Bible. Read the Bible during your time of waiting. A number of years ago, uh, I came upon a copy, a different translation of the Bible, and I found it in a New Testament form, and I would carry it with me wherever I would go. And when our children were really young, you know, and you, you, know, you, you take them certain places and, and wherever it would be, and they'd be doing something, and I didn't have to watch them because they were doing something, I would just open up that little New Testament and read portions so that my waiting period became filled with looking to the Word and, and, and finding my hope in the Word. So just say this again. Look to the Word and not to the end of waiting. Now, here's the second idea. Um, that waiting, that time of waiting is a time of personal development. God is doing something in your life during that time of waiting. And so I like to say it this way. Look through the word, not your strength. The, the thing you've got to understand about Peter is that Peter always depended upon his strength. And his strength always failed him. But somewhere, I think like in this nine-day window, Peter begins to understand that he's got to look at what God wants him to do through the word and not through his strength. You see this immediately at the beginning of Acts chapter 1. In those days, Peter stood up. Okay. This is not the first time Peter has taken the lead on something. That's not unusual for Peter to stand up and take the lead. Peter's the first guy out of the boat to try to walk on water. Okay. Peter's uh, the first guy out of the boat in, 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 uh, when Jesus has breakfast for them 
as the resurrected Christ, at the end of the Gospel of John, Peter's the first one out of the boat to try to walk on water again, and he has to swim to the shore, okay? Peter is always like the first one up. But Peter hasn't yet learned that he has to go see the, capability, the opportunities through the word. He keeps thinking he's got to see them through his own strength. Now, let me just kind of unpack that for you quickly. Look back with me at Luke chapter 22. Remember, Luke wrote the book of Acts, but he also wrote Luke 22. And notice what he records Peter saying there in the upper room. They're back in the upper room again here when Peter stands up and says something. But you're going to see the difference in a second. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Peter said, no, no, no. These other guys, they're all going to deny you, okay. but not me. And what Peter is doing right there is he is looking to do it through his strength. That's why he says, they'll deny you, but I won't. Now, fast forward that to the end of that passage. Now, after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, oh, I love the way Luke does this. Luke places Peter following Jesus so that he is close to Jesus as Jesus is going from house to house through the various trials prior to his crucifixion. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man, that is Peter, also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. Remember, Peter's warming himself by the fire there. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. Total denial. I'm not with Christ, he says. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And you can kind of picture that Jesus is moving from one location to the other in his trial, And he glances over his shoulders and he makes eye contact with Peter. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now, just let me go back with you to Acts chapter 1 and show you Peter's statement. It's fascinating. Watch this. Acts chapter 1, verse 15. And in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, and the company of persons was in all about 120. And he said, brothers, look at what he says. Nothing in his strength. See the words? The scripture had to be fulfilled. Now, just for a moment, stop. He's going to talk about how Judas failed them. But notice how he starts that. The scripture had to be fulfilled. Peter never talks like that. Peter always says, not me. Everybody's going to deny, but not me. Okay. Lord, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm here. I'm the one who will follow you no matter where we go. Okay. Peter is always the one who is opening his mouth only long enough to insert his foot. Okay. That's Peter. But here, he's got a different response. Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled. And, and, as, a, and, and as someone who's following the Bible, you need to say, where did he come up with that? Well, if you go back to Luke 23... That passage where they're in the upper room, just look at how Jesus speaks to his disciples. And he says, upper room, Peter's about to say, everybody will deny you, but I won't deny you. Look at what Jesus says. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors for what is written about me has its fulfillment. Jesus gave him the scripture must be fulfilled. And Peter begins to say, okay, It's really about what the scripture says, not about how strong I feel. In fact, that's what God wanted. That's what Jesus wanted Peter to understand all the time. That Peter, you're weak. You better lean into what the Bible says, not lean into your own strength. Begin to see in the time of waiting that God is personally developing you, but 
the best way you can be developed is to reach through the word and not in your own strength. And that is why, bear in mind, the same guy, it's, it's Peter, it's the same guy who 50 days earlier was scared of the servant girl who said, I think you were with him. And big, brave Peter said, I have nothing to do with him. And 50 days later in Acts chapter 2, look what he says. But Peter standing there among the 11 disciples, this is great. Peter, again, standing up, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Now, he, he then quotes from a significant portion of the, gospel, of the book of Joel. He, he quotes from the scriptures as if to say, the scripture's got to be fulfilled And then listen how bold he gets in his preaching. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. He says, listen, all of you are completely accountable. You saw him do the miracles. You saw him do the things that he did. He was truly God. This Jesus, verse 23, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Now, if there is ever a point where you struggle with getting a little defensive when someone addresses you on something, this would be one of those places. Okay? You killed him. That's what Peter says. He who was afraid of the servant girl 50 days earlier now stands and says, I'm going to address all of you, some accountability here. You killed him and you crucified him. Verse 24, but God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. What takes a man from being scared of the servant girl to suddenly addressing an entire population that could execute him as well and saying, listen, you got to know this is what the scripture says. And that's because during that time of personal development for Peter, uh, he learned to look through the word, not through his strength. And here's the last one. This is a period when we go through a period of waiting. It's a period in which God is at work. And that's why we can wait. God's at work in that period. It's not like, it's not like he won't work unless we have to do something or become manipulative. It is a period in which God is at work. And I like to just add there, look in the word, not your own experience. So look to the word, look through the word, look in the word. The way we best manage a time of waiting that God would have us go through is to the word, through the word, in the word. Now, I don't know what you're waiting on, okay? Um, I don't know what you have ahead of you, what decisions you have ahead of you that God's put a pause in your life on. Maybe you were applying for work. Maybe you're waiting for something to happen in your marriage. Maybe you're waiting to get married. Maybe you're waiting for a grade to come back. Whatever it is, the most important thing you could do during that time is not be anxious about it, but simply say, uh, I got to look to the word, through the word, in the word. That's where my focus has to be. And we see this actually in a remarkable way at the beginning of Acts chapter 1. Just look at the focus here. For in those days, okay, In those days, there was a time of waiting. Peter stood up among them. Okay, God's doing personal development, Peter. Here it comes. Among the brothers, the company of persons was in all about 120. And notice the focus on the word brothers. This is the first time in the scripture that the word brothers is potentially used, some scholars say, to describe a church gathering, a New Testament church gathering like we know it. And that's because there's 120. See that little phrase in the parenthesis? Luke adds this. 
Because 120 was the Jewish number that you needed to say, okay, this is a group that can form an additional community and get a leadership team or a board to operate. The number was 120. And so in that upper room are not only apostles, but 120 other people as if God is saying, just like Jesus said, this, I, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's already getting started back here. It's like waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And, and the point is this, that we, when we face these times of waiting, God is still at work. God was singling out, hey, I want you to go to the upper room, you to go to the upper room, you to go to the upper room. God was doing all of that work. The apostles weren't gathering 120 people in the upper room just so they'd have their number, but God did. Look in the word, not your own experience. Okay, let's talk about the second idea. Don't bail out because of betrayal. We tend to think of all the trauma that the apostles must have faced they come in on, they follow Jesus in on uh, Palm Sunday. Everybody's cheering for him. A few days later, he's crucified. A few days later, he's risen from the dead. But there's another point of trauma I think they faced. And it happens whenever betrayal is involved. Just think about it for a moment. If you have known a betrayal at some stage in your life, there's trauma there. There's trauma there because you can, you can feel like someone was disloyal. You can feel that someone deceived you. You can feel that someone was hiding something from you. You can feel uh, one, of the synonyms for, um, one of the synonyms for the word betrayal is the word duplicity. That is that there's a double person, right? That they were one thing to you, but they were really something else. Betrayal brings great trauma. So just for a moment, imagine what the apostles must have been talking about. Not just about Jesus, but about, did you have any idea that Judas was going to do that? No, I had no idea. If I'd had any idea, I wouldn't have let him be the treasurer. Like, like, did you have any idea that Judas was going to do that? Now, bear in mind, Jesus has said that these 12, the apostles, would have some role in the kingdom. They would be overseeing certain portions of the kingdom. Now, it's not hard to imagine what they were thinking. Twelve apostles, twelve tribes of Israel, some of them were scattered. Each one gets a tribe. This is probably what they're arguing about in the upper room prior to the Lord's table. They're probably arguing about who could be the greatest. This is what the text says. So they're probably thinking, I want the nation of Judah. What do you want? I, I, want, I don't want Benjamin. He's too small. Okay? Like this is how they're all discussing. So they think Judas is in that twelve, right? that he too is going to be responsible. This is one who was in their midst. In fact, when it comes to betrayal, here's the first thing you need to remember. You're not alone. We've all been deceived. That's right. Betrayal feels so personal. It feels like, what's the use of even trying? You're not alone. We've all been deceived. All of us. And you catch this in the first part of this phrase where Peter begins to talk about Judas in verse 17. He says, for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. That's right. The disciples had always been talking about what was going to happen with the kingdom. They couldn't envision what Jesus was going to do. They couldn't envision when Jesus was going to leave. They could not, certainly not envision that he was going to go up into heaven in that same way, which is why they're all standing there. Last week we saw that, looking up into the clouds saying, what's next, right? 
An angel's got to come and tap him on the shoulder and say, hey, get busy. Right. But here's the point. Judas had lived among them the entire time. And he was allowed to share in the ministry. And, and the point is this. You're not alone in being deceived when a betrayal has happened. We've all been deceived. It's happened to all of us. And I recognize that it can feel like, well, what's the use? I remember years ago hearing um, uh, a youth pastor on the, on the West Coast share this story uh, by the name of Dewey Bertolini. He spoke of the fact that he was uh, up at a camp, a Christian camp, doing a Bible lesson, and he came out of the Bible lesson, and he was accosted. A young man grabbed him by his shirt and threw him up against the wall. And he said, uh, he said, Dewey, tell me, tell me that you've been faithful. Tell me that you still love God. Tell me that you still believe in the word. Tell me you haven't cheated on your wife. And he's like up against the wall by this young man. Okay, this isn't exactly what he expected church camp to be like. Right. And he says, yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I still love the Lord. I, I have, I've been faithful. Yeah, everything you say, that's true. And he said the guy released him and said, thank you, because another one of my heroes fell today. And I drove all the way up here, two and a half hours, and I said to myself, if Dewey has been unfaithful, then I'm walking. That's how betrayal works. It shatters us. We, we struggle with it. I just want to remind you in this, the disciples didn't give up on Christianity just because of Judas. They didn't. Whatever that trauma that came from the betrayal, the disciples said, listen, let's go back to the scriptures. This is what the Bible is saying, and we need to replace him in this situation. It was almost too matter of fact, but you see it because here he says, for it is written in the book of Psalms, Peter goes right back to the scriptures again. May his camp become desolate and let there be one who dwell in it and let another take his office. Peter had looked to the scriptures to handle his understanding of the betrayal and he taught the other apostles to do the same. Here's the second idea that goes with it. Don't bail out because of betrayal. You're not the best judge. God will bring retribution. That's right. Maybe your betrayal is so hurtful, so painful, and there's no repentance. Let me back in and put that in. Betrayal is, is at least graspable when the person is repenting for how they betrayed, right? Like we're told very clearly in that, um, that if a brother repents, then we forgive. So when there's repentance, the betrayal can still be a scar in our past, but it isn't life-altering like that. But here's the thing. What if it isn't repented of? That betrayal just stings, right? And sometimes... Our heart cries out for justice in that scenario. And I just want to remind you, you and I are not the best judge, but God is. God is. And that's exactly what, go, what we read here. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now, this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. Remember that, uh, he, that Judas went back and threw the coins before the chief priest, and the chief priest bought a field that later would become a cemetery. All of that happens here, right? That's the image that's happening here. You say, well, I thought Judas hung himself. Yes, that's true. And so some scholars believe that what happened is he hung himself, and the rope would break, and he would burst out headlong on the, on the ground. All of that's um, understandable and reasonable in the text. 
And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Like, Judas, this is how God brings retribution. God not only said, listen, um, he would be punished in this case, but he would have a cemetery named after him, okay? Like, that's wild. Like, where are you going to be buried? Anywhere but Judas Cemetery, okay? That's how you would think about it. He became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, Akadema, the field of blood. This is God saying, listen, retribution happens when we've been betrayed or hurt, but God's a much better judge of that than we are. And finally, we notice one other thing in the text, and here it is. Don't go without God's guidance. So in fulfilling your mission, there's this pause before we get into all the excitement of the book of Acts. Don't waste a time awaiting. Don't bail out because of betrayal. Don't go without God's guidance. They have to choose another apostle. And they give you several reasons in the text for what should mark that apostle. Number one, he should have participated in Christ's earthly ministry. Both of these two men did before they cast the lot. Number two, there is a witness of the resurrection. That is, they would have seen the resurrected Christ. That was important for them as apostles. And number three, they would be appointed or chosen by God. This is a distinction to this title in the technical form. We don't think of apostles today. Apostles, biblically speaking, were those who participated in Christ's earthly ministry. Um, They were witnesses to the resurrection, and God in some way appointed them. You remember Paul says he was an apostle born out of time. So Paul kind of takes that title too. But, But when they choose the apostle, they choose on these three elements. Now, while we don't choose apostles today... I think there's great application for us when we face a time of waiting and how we unpack that. And here's the first thing we want to do. How are you going to determine God's guidance? I would just say, look to those who spend time with Jesus. That's right. Just look to somebody who spent time with Jesus. Don't find your counsel from people who aren't Christ followers. If you want God's guidance then you don't go to someone who doesn't know or love Jesus for all of your guidance. I'm not saying there isn't wisdom in seeking help from others, but your chief communication, your chief determiner should be, has this person spent time with Jesus? Because that's exactly what we read in verse 21. For there we read, So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John. So all the way back to the Jesus ministry three years earlier, these two men had been following. They just had not been selected. Here's the second idea. Follow those who are truly committed to Jesus. Follow those who are truly committed to Jesus. And there's a great term here in our English language that the English doesn't capture it well. But the Greek language does. And if you're unfamiliar with that, the New Testament was written in the Greek language. Uh, here it is. Down about verse 22. Beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. Now, we hear witness and we see maybe someone up on the witness stand in a courtroom or we think of someone uh, even maybe witnessing or sharing the gospel with someone. But the essence of this word, the word behind the English word witness is the Greek word martyria or martyr, which meant... How would you like this assignment? We're choosing one person who will be willing and actually die for Christ. You say, well, that would make for a pretty short list pretty fast. It would for those of us who are here. 
but it didn't for those in New Testament times. Because there were numerous martyrs who refused to deny Christ. And by the way, um, one of the great proofs of how you move someone from the apostle Peter, who's scared of a servant girl, to someone who stands up and says, listen, do whatever you want to me, but I'm going to follow Christ and I'm not going to deny him. One of the ways you get there is because they saw the resurrected Christ. And then they suddenly had this understanding, what can death do to me? If Jesus was resurrected and he promised me that I would be resurrected, I know this thing works. It's, it's, it's in a sense, pragmatic. I, I know that if I die, I'm going to live again. So you can kill me because I got another life coming. This is the word, uh, witness. We must choose men who would be a martyr to his resurrection or a martyr rather than deny the resurrection. And that's why we make this statement. Follow those who are truly committed to Jesus. Like, not someone who walks away, but someone who says, listen, if it need be, die. Yes, I would die. In fact, in 16, I don't know, 50, something like that, uh, Peter Paul Rubin recorded um, his painting of Matthias was, was like this. In fact, this, you know, you look at it and you see Matthias with an axe in his hand and you say, oh, they chose a, you know, they, they chose a lumberjack for the 12th apostle, okay? The axe is in his hand because uh, history tells us that Matthias was martyred um, by an axe. He had his head taken off with an axe. Right. And, and in some ways, you've got to kind of picture, imagine what's going on in the picture because all of the disciples didn't go unwillingly to the cross. They went willingly to their suffering, to their pain, and to their executions. Follow those who are truly committed to Christ. And then final, one final one, here it is. Trust the Spirit to point you to Jesus. Trust the Spirit to point you to Jesus. How do you go with God's guidance? Look to those who spend time with Jesus, follow those who are truly committed to Jesus, and trust the Spirit to point you to Jesus. Now, they will cast lots to determine which one God is choosing here. Because God didn't speak to them in an audible voice, so they cast the lots, and the lots determined that Matthias would be the twelfth apostle. This is the last time in the New Testament lots will be used. And you know why that is? Because by the time you get to Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit arrives in such a way that the Spirit himself grants us understanding and wisdom when we don't know what to do. And Jesus himself spoke of that back here. When he said, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, that's the Holy Spirit, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. He basically says to his disciples, listen, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And he tells them that that element is coming. It's a great reminder to us that we don't want to go without God's guidance. That's how they did it in the early church, and that's what we want to do as well. Um, One of the things we've been kind of considering and thinking through and talking about is this should be a year in which we not only say, hey, go out and be a witness, but also prayerfully consider who you can share Christ with. That's why I gave you the prayer card last week. And then how can we do that in simple steps? And so we're going to close the service this morning kind of in that way. But I want to give you an opportunity just as our musicians come. I want to give you an opportunity just to let the Lord 
kind of work in your heart about who you could be sharing Christ with. And then we just don't like to make you feel guilty for it. We like to show you how you could do it. So we'll wrap up the service that morning in, in that way. But, um, but just for a moment, where you are, just imagine what it would have been like when Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Let the Spirit of God work in your heart for just a couple minutes through the music, and then we'll give some instruction in how we can go about sharing. Father, we are thankful for your word this morning, for what it means to us, for the fact that we can come to it, and and it's not archaic, Lord, even though it's older than we can ever imagine. It's alive, and it speaks to us about issues we face today. And Lord, we want to do our part in fulfilling your mission. That is, that we would take the gospel to those who are around us and to the uttermost parts of the earth, and we would do our part in praying and sharing and communicating and supporting and encouraging. So Lord, I just pray again that you will use this time. Bring to mind, Lord, names of individuals that we should reach out and share, even just a phone call or a note or a text. Help us do our part in sharing the gospel this We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mullica Hill.